Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now, today's message. We've been in the middle of a series called Dealing with Feelings. I thought it might be appropriate to discuss all the different emotions that even in a normal world can get out of control, and especially when you throw in the reality of a global pandemic, uh, can get out of control more easily. And so we've talked about things like depression and stress and other kinds of things. And for the most part, when we talk about emotions, we're talking about things that don't necessarily need to be eliminated right? Stress, for example. People go, I need to rid myself of stress. No, you need deadlines. You need a time clock. Some of you need tests. You you need that because you're falling. Uh, And sometimes stress can be a great uh, measure of accountability for you. So you don't need to eliminate stress. What you need to do is harness it in a way that brings it under the submission of the Lordship of Jesus. Same thing with sadness. Same thing with anger. For the most part, when we talk about our emotions, we're talking about things created in the very image of God that don't need to be squelched. They just need to be redeemed like the rest of us. But the emotion we're going to talk about today does not fit that category. There are some emotions that are beyond sanctification. They're beyond being made like Jesus because Jesus would have never felt them. There are some things that simply cannot be redeemed. There's no way to sanctify them. There's no way to control them. There's no way to manage them. They simply have to be crucified. And that is certainly true when we talk about the emotion that we're going to talk about today. The emotion I'm talking about today is is one that really makes reality TV. So, such a guilty pleasure for our culture these days. We love to watch that. I think for most people who are polled to say, why do you watch that stuff? It's because it makes them feel better about themselves, right? I, you know, I know my family's jacked up, but we're not, real, we're not that dysfunctional. I know that I've had some impure thoughts and this, that, and the other, but I, I never actually murdered anybody. Uh, there's a, actually a story about two little girls grew up, did their pajama parties together. They were at birthday parties and doing, doing all kinds of things together. But around the seventh grade, one of them made the cheerleading squad. The other one didn't. Long story short, it led to uh, the attempt by one mother to hire a hitman to murder both the mother and the daughter. You're like, how in the world could a mother become a monster? Well, a lot of it starts with the emotion we're going to talk about today. It is what Shakespeare called the green-eyed monster. John Dryden called it the jaundice of the soul, but the best description I think given for us is Solomon who says the following in Proverbs 27, 4, wrath is cruel, anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Who? There is something worse than wrath. There's something worse than getting physically assaulted One of my favorite movies came out a little more than a decade ago called Cinderella Man. It involves the true story of a boxer. His name is James J. Braddock. He's been the heavyweight champion of the world, but due to, first of all, a a hand injury, and then following up on that, the Great Depression, he ends up in a ghetto with his family. They're barely scraping by. They're trying to find a way to make it. Finally, by the time we get toward the end of the movie, he gets his chance to get back into the ring with the then heavyweight champion, a man named Max Baer, also 
true story. Max Baer just had a forceful, we're talking probably hundreds of pounds per square inch when his fist is coming at you. And as you can imagine, Braddock hasn't boxed in about 10 years. His, um, his wife, May, is really upset, and for a couple of reasons. Number one, because he's not just injured his hand, but the doctors have told him that throughout his boxing career that he had taken so many shots to the head, he really only needs one more in just the right spot before he doesn't come back from it anymore. And that then is, that, that concern is compounded with the other concern that Max Baer himself has already killed one man in the ring. And so as you can imagine, this wife is begging her husband not to go back into the ring. And yet, in the middle of all the forces that he could not see, all the things that he could not control, all the things that transpired around him that he literally felt as a boxer as if he was metaphorically trying to punch the air and doing it without success and seeing his children go hungry and the threat of them even being taken away by social services because he can't provide for them anymore. He has a big smile on his face when he looks back at his wife and he says, May, at least I'll know who's swinging at me. You ever felt that way? That's what Solomon just told us about jealousy. It's one thing to get beat up physically. At least you know where it's coming. It's one thing. This is the difference between a bar fight and a church fight. You know that? A bar fight is horrible and violent and bloody and there's teeth on the floor, but it's over in about five minutes. Some church fights go for years. Even though they're peaceful and sinister and civil and peppered with all kinds of syrupy spiritual language. Because wrath is cruel and anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? When we talk about jealousy, we're talking about something far more sinister, far more sinister, far more subversive, far more manipulative, far more caustic, far more satanic than any of those overtly violent tendencies. And we see how satanic it is when you just read the Bible. Look at all of the, the narratives starting as early as Genesis chapter 4. The first recorded murder, one brother killing another one, came because of jealousy. The Gospels tell us in Matthew 27, 18, that Jesus was unjustly tried in a kangaroo court and ultimately crucified for one reason. It's because Pilate, who was the governor of Judea at the time, had a fear of the jealousy of the religious leaders that wanted him killed. And jealousy still kills today. It kills marriages. It ends families. It splits churches. It destroys businesses. It ends some of the dearest friendships. And probably, I would imagine, you're on the other side of that camera or in front of me right now, you, you have been either the perpetrator of or the victim of jealousy at some point in your life. And if you were honest, you'd say eh, a little bit of both, a little bit of both. So when you feel that, what do you do with it? What do you do with it? How do I understand the danger of it? Because this is one of Satan's biggest weapons. Let me tell you why. Jealousy takes the blessings God has given you and makes every one of them better. I mean, every single one. You have to crucify this emotion. Let me tell you how to do it. First off, you've got to confront the problem of jealousy. And this takes us back to Proverbs 27.4. When you sense envy motivating you, making you angry, starting to direct your actions your radar's got to go up. I mean, immediately. Here's something. It's like when you feel yourself becoming physically ill. Don't deny it. Acknowledge it. Get to the ER. Get the help you need. 
That's the, the warning we see here. Wrath is cruel. Anger is overwhelming. Who can stand before jealousy? When I was a senior in high school, I went on a cruise. And uh, we, we drove in a bus together, my, my senior class, about probably 30 or 40 of us that, that chose to go on this trip together, down to Port Everglades, just a little bit south of Fort Lauderdale. We got on a ship called the USS Mardi Gras, and we sailed from there for about three days down to Nassau to spend some time in the Bahamas together. All right? All of us, most of us had already turned 18. We're having the time of our lives. And the very first night on that ship, we all had dinner together. And that was the first time I had ever sat in front of a table with that many forks on it. All right? It, just, it was just one of those times for me. I had on a coat and tie. I mean, you get dressed for dinner. I mean, I'd, where I grew up, I, I'll put on a shirt for dinner. That's how you dress up for dinner. And so we're sitting around that table, all of us, we hadn't looked that good since the prom, and everything's great. But here's the issue, again, we're all high school seniors, so we got the economy package, which meant our dining room didn't have any windows in it. And dinner time just happened to coincide with the movement of that ship, which contrasted with other bigger ships, because again, we were on the cheap, was going through the Gulf Stream. You starting to get where I'm going here? That ship was doing this. But we couldn't see it doing that because there's no windows. You could just feel it. Moreover, because you couldn't see it, you couldn't anticipate it. And so your stomach was a good 15, 20 seconds behind that wave. You ever felt that way? Maybe some of you have been on a fishing charter and you just couldn't handle it. Imagine not being able to see and being in the middle of all that. But my buddy, who was in the same cabin with me, we were sitting right next to each other, dressed up really nice, coats, ties, we, looked, we started checking each other out because I was getting sick and I kind of knew it. He was getting sick. He kind of knew it. But we would look at each other like, like, dude, you all right? Yeah, I'm cool. I'm cool. You don't want to admit that to each other. Like, I don't, I don't want to be the first one to throw up here. Like, that, that's just, you know, it's one thing to be sick. It's another to be the guy that loses that contest. And so we're, we're down at I was 18, okay? I've, I think I've matured a little bit since then. All of a sudden, we noticed each other turning green. All right? So you get to that point where it's undeniable. And that's when we said, yeah, we need to, we need to go. All right, but we're past the point of no return at this point. You know why? Because in our cabin is one toilet, just one. And I will stand here 30 years later and tell you with great swelling pride, I won that race. <laughs> I won. But you know what? Nobody won. Because what my buddy left in the floor still had to be cleaned up. You're like, Pastor, why are you grossing me out like that right before lunch? Because Solomon tells us to look at jealousy in exactly the same way. When you start to feel it, you, you can't deny it. You can't control it. You can't sanctify it. You have to crucify it. You have to get it out. You have to get it out. Treat envy in exactly the same way. Well, the, the way to do that first is to be able to define it. Jealousy and envy 
is when you don't have something that maybe someone else has. Maybe it's a, a, a material possession of some sort. Maybe it's a relationship that they have that you don't have. Maybe it's just contentment and peace of mind that they have and you can't seem to grasp it somehow. And you begin to want what that other person has to the extent that you become bitter. Now, it's not only about you. Now you're focused on the other person. You're bitter toward them because of everything they have that you don't have. Your classmate makes the team and you don't. Your colleague gets the promotion that you wanted. Your neighbor buys the bigger house in the neighborhood you wanted for your children. Your friend buys a nicer car that you can afford. Uh, your neighbor can work from home during a pandemic, but you got to go in. You got to put your family at risk. They get to keep their job. You lose yours. The buddy that you loved and have grown up with your whole life gets the girl that you wanted. And you start to compare yourself and where you are with where they are. Not a good thing. Not a good thing. Because you start thinking less about yourself, more about them in a really bad way. You begin to resent them for it. And if you let those feelings fester, they will destroy you. Now, how do I know that? Because I've got multiple stories from Scripture that prove it. Saul was probably the most notorious one first king of the United Kingdom of Israel. Saul was a brilliant strategist. He was a capable politician. He was a, a phenomenal leader, but he had a problem. Saul was thin-skinned. He didn't want anybody else getting credit for anything else. And more particularly, he became envious of the prophet Samuel. Because Samuel had a privilege that Saul didn't have. It was one of the things that the Lord told Saul, this is out of your lane. You don't do this. And that is the making of the sacrifices. There's a simple reason for that, both within that narrative and also within the canonical context of Scripture. Within that narrative, God had given that assignment to the priest. He had been abundantly clear. The priest, and only the priest, is to make that sacrifice. Within the larger narrative of Scripture, the reason for that is because there's a high priest coming, and he's the only one. There is salvation in no one else, Acts 4.12 tells us. And in order to make that message clear, Beginning at this point in history, the Lord said, the priest and only the priest can make this sacrifice. And Saul, at a moment of opportunity, at least as he saw it, makes that sacrifice himself because of jealousy. And the Lord said, as a result of that, I'm going to take your kingdom away from you and I'm going to give it to someone else. Particularly, I'm going to give it to a man after my own heart. Not long after that, the Lord sends this evil spirit to torment Saul. And Saul's advisors say, let's find a, a musician to soothe your soul. Didn't have Apple Music back then, unfortunately. You had to do it live or you couldn't do it at all. And so this is how David gets introduced into the court of Saul, beginning as a musician. And, and, and Saul, let me tell you what he had in David. A humble servant, a great helper, an advocate, a dear, dear friend until one day after about a six-week standoff with the army of Philistia, David accomplished the impossible. And if you know the scriptures at all, you probably know that part of the story with the power of God. He defeated and cut off the head of that giant Goliath. Now all of a sudden, David's popularity as a military leader begins to swell and Saul begins to hear people say things like, well, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands. And he allowed that to fester and to grow. And no matter what he had, what he wanted was what his servant David 
had. And by the end of this part of the story, he even seeks to have David murdered. Every bit of it, every bit of it started with jealousy. See, the problem was not Samuel and what he had that, that Saul didn't have. The problem was not David. It was Saul the whole time. It was Saul. And so the first step is to realize horrifying results come from just allowing jealousy to sit there and not do anything about it and be passive toward it and allow it to get out of control. Solomon, David's own son, recognized this, probably heard some of these stories, which is exactly why he asked the right rhetorical question, who can survive jealousy? Confront the problem. Secondly, consider the poison. Look at Proverbs 14, 30. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. When I was a kid, my parents bought a bunch of stickers. And you may remember these stickers. They had a green character on them, Mr. Yuck. Anybody remember Mr. Yuck? Do we still use Mr. Yuck? We just lock the kitchen cabinets now. I, I don't know. But, but Mr. Yuck was that guy who you, you couldn't, particularly if you're three, four years old, you're not reading yet, but, but your parents would train you when you see that sticker on the bottle. There's poison in that. Don't drink it. Don't ingest it. It's dangerous, which was a good thing for me growing up as a kid because I like to experiment with stuff. I also had a, just a really great love affair with this particular beverage called Mountain Dew. I don't drink it anymore because I'm married to a woman that won't let me have it and because she wants me to live a little longer. You ever noticed how much Mountain Dew looks like antifreeze? They look very much the same, don't they? And, and they're both bad for you, aren't they? I mean, let's just be honest. Mountain Dew will rot your teeth out. But antifreeze will put you asleep to sleep and you won't wake up anymore. And so the difference oftentimes with it was in the sticker that's what Solomon's doing. He's basically putting a Mr. Yuck sticker on this thing. Stay away. You, you may have a translation that, doesn't have pa that has passion in it instead of envy. So it might read like this. Passion makes the bones rot. The, the reason for that is Hebrew is a very fluid language. Context tends to determine everything. And, and, and this Hebrew term is used in other places in the Old Testament to describe all kinds of emotions, including sinful sexual lust. But in this context, I think the best translation is envy, and I'll, I'll tell you why. It's because of, it's contrasted with being tranquil. You see that? A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh. Envy, by contrast, makes the bones rot. If you're tranquil, you have a heart that's settled. It's secure. It's satisfied. If your disposition includes all of that, Settling, security, satisfaction, you have a tranquil heart. You're at peace. But if discontent consumes your thoughts and your actions, it's going to affect you. And sometimes it can get to a point it starts to affect even your physical health. It's called, what Solomon calls it here is rottenness to the bones. And most of you who are in the medical profession know far better than I. Medical studies have proven that both length and quality of life can be correlated in large part to one's disposition. Optimists tend to live longer than pessimists. Those who assume the best about other people tend to have a better quality of life than 
People who always feel like they got to be at war with somebody or fight with somebody all the time. Or those that have high suspicions, conspiracy theorists, that, that kind of person, eventually it's going to start to eat away even at your physical health. And what this means is that jealousy is a heart problem in which the heart itself produces the poison that will cause the body to eventually kill itself. If you struggle with jealousy, you've got a corrosive emotion inside of you that is eating away at you. There's a story of two shopkeepers who just couldn't stand each other. They set their businesses up just on either side of one another. Every time a customer would go into the competitor's shop, the other shopkeeper would go over there and try to distract them, try to get the customer out. When the customer bought it, he would make obscene gestures at the shopkeeper across the street. I mean, these two men hated each other. One night, one of those shopkeepers had a dream. An angel came to him. He said, I'm going to give you one wish, and I'm going to grant this wish. I'll give you anything you want, but I want you to be warned. Whatever I give you, I'm going to give your competitor twice as much. So if you want to be rich, that's fine. I'll make you rich, but I'm going to give your competitor twice as much money. If you want good health, I'll give you good health, but your competitor will live twice as long. Choose carefully. And he thought long and hard, and with that jealousy just kind of eaten up in his bones, he looked back at the angel. He said, I want you to strike me blind in one eye. That's jealousy. Of all the things he could have gotten for himself, where did it get him? Where did it get him? Many in the mental health discipline will tell you that, that there's a propensity in human nature that, that when I'm successful, it's because of my abilities. It's my skill. It's my knowledge. But when I'm unsuccessful, when I fail at something, it's, it's always because of something beyond my power. I can't really do anything about it. That's pretty convenient, don't you think? Very, very convenient. But when we're unsuccessful, it's, it's beyond my power. Now, flip that around. What about when other people are successful? Here's how you know whether or not jealousy is, is starting to take root and start to rot away at the bones. When you look at them, and rather than being glad for their success, glad for that new car, glad for that flourishing relationship, glad for the in your loved one's life, you look back at them and say instead, boy, I could do that too if I had that kind of silver spoon that big in my mouth. I could do that too if I was born with that level of societal privilege. And then when they mess up, it's not because all of a sudden of the, the, the outward things that they can't have any control over. It's, well, I guess they just didn't have what it takes. It may give you temporary comfort to put people down that way. But in the end, it's poison, and it's going to poison all the way through, and it will rob you of the contentment, the tranquility that Solomon is talking about here. It will take away the blessing, and instead of enjoying what God has already blessed you with, you'll be trapped by your own out-of-control emotions. The most tragic parable I've ever heard that describes this scenario is two men that were in the same hospital room. They were both very sick. The man next to the door was told in the early part of your convalescence, you, you're going to have to lie completely still. You can't sit up. You've got to remain quiet. You can't have any visitors. The only thing he could do was stare at the ceiling 24 hours a day, seven days a week until he got to the next phase of his recovery. Now, the other man was able twice a day, he was still very ill, but twice a day they could prop him up. And so they put this man by the window in the hospital room. And these two men, they talk every day. They were older men. They talk about their lives, their careers. They talk about their grandchildren. They became 
very, very dear friends. But their favorite part of the day, really for both of them, was the, the time during the daylight when they would come in and take that man by the window and prop him up because that was when he could look outside the window. And apparently there was a park over there. And he would describe for the man having to lay there staring at the ceiling all of these things that were, that were in that park, the children that were playing together, lovers walking arm in arm, a, a, a vendor selling balloons or ice cream, how beautiful it was, the ducks that were in the pond and the people that were feeding them. And it was a really pleasant kind of just relationship, mutual blessing and benefit until one day jealousy was triggered when the man next to the window was propped up and he saw a parade. Something about that experience triggered something very bitter in the soul of the man who was having to stare at the ceiling. Why is it that he gets to watch this and I don't? Why can he have these experiences? Why do I have to live vicariously through him? And the more he thought about it, the more jealous he got, the more jealous he got, the more angry he got, and the more he wanted to take away what that other man had. See, this is jealousy. It's not just about you. It's about them not having. It's about them not having. One night, that man by the window woke up coughing. Fluid began to fill his lungs. He reached to push the call button, but he knocked it off into the floor. All the man by the door had to do was push his call button. But you know what? He thought to himself, if I don't do anything, Maybe they won't get to him in time, and he'll die, and I can get that bed. And that's exactly what happened. By the time he coded and the nurses were alerted and they got into that room, it was too late. And when they were taking the man's body out of the room, the man by the door looked at the nurses and said, can I have that bed by the window now? When they walked out, he propped himself up. Couldn't wait to see all those things that he'd been kept from seeing. But as he propped himself up and he looked out that window, what he saw was a blank wall from another wing of the hospital. Turns out there was really nothing to see. And it turns out that what he was seeing, he would never see again because he just put to death one of his dearest friends who was using his own imagination to, trying to, to try and bless the man who was next to the door. And before we start to think, how horrible is that? Like that really is reality television. That's the stuff that I watch, Pastor, makes me feel good about myself. Don't feel good about yourself. You and I are capable of those things too. That's what the poison will do. It will rot the bones. It will bring you to this. Jealousy robbed this man of his blessing and robbed the other man of his life. It's poison. It will kill your joy. It will kill your relationships. And in time, it will kill you. Don't ever, ever forget that. And so here's what we have to do. We have to conquer the power of this emotion. All of us battle it. Sometimes we win. Sometimes it wins. There's one step to overcome it. And I want to take us to the New Testament to find that step. It's in a book that we actually, four years ago, four and a half years ago, when I first came as pastor, we moved verse by verse through this book of the Bible together. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, look at what Paul said of his own station in life. Not that I am, in, am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am 
You know where he wrote this from? He was, yeah, he was in jail. He was in jail. Wherever I am, to be content. I want you to think about it this way. If you believe in the sovereignty of God, and if you're a Christian, you should. If you believe in the providence of God, then you must believe that God has you where he wants you to be. That God has given you what he wants you to have. And you have zero reason to be jealous of what somebody else has. And even if you did, it's not going to do you any good anyway. Jealousy ultimately, and this is how we realize it's real danger to overcome it. If, if I'm jealous of one of you because you have something I don't, or you've got an experience that I don't, or your peace of mind seems to be better than mine, or I, and I'm so focused on you rather than trying to focus on my own contentment, being thankful for what God has given me, that's not ultimately aimed at you. That's ultimately aimed at God. In that moment, what I'm saying to my creator is, how dare you give them that and not give it to me? How dare you allow them to experience what you have not allowed me to experience? How dare you bless that person more than you bless me? Let that guy make more money than I do. Let that woman live in a nicer neighborhood than I do. Let my buddy drive a nicer car than I do. And the only answer to this is, you know what? Wherever station I'm in, I'm content. I love the Lord. He is sovereign. He is providential over my life. And he is good. He is good. And everything he has given me is good. And I will bless his name for it. And when you start to think that way, all of a sudden now your focus is not on what everybody else has compared to your own. You're not. There's a plaque that sits on my desk up in my office. I got it five years ago when I visited the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in Simi Valley, California. The same plaque sat on the Resolute desk during his eight years, the eight years of his administration. And it says this, there is no limit to what a man can do or where he can go as long as he doesn't mind who gets the credit. Think about that. Don't be jealous of other people. Be focused on what God has given you. In Numbers chapter 11, Moses is leading God's people. He decided at that point, largely by the, the wise counsel of his father-in-law Jethro, that he's going to share that load with 70 elders in the community. Two of those elders, their names were Eldad and Medad. And they, they were particularly gifted, these two men, in being able to preach the word. We've got some wonderful men here. There's nine of us in all that shepherd this body alongside of me. And I thank God for every single one of those men, every single one of them, men of character, men who love Jesus, men who are 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, qualified. They have different gifts, different skill sets. I'm thankful that more than a few of them can deliver the mail so that when I step out of here, I don't have to worry as to whether or not you are going to get fed. I've never concerned myself with that here. Thank God for those men. Well, Moses had a couple of those men. And out in the camp preaching, while they were preaching, the crowd was coming in droves. And somebody said to Joshua, these men are prophesying in the camp. You better tell Moses. Like they're, they're stealing some of his thunder. This was Moses' response. Numbers 11, verse 19. Are you jealous for my sake? 
Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. You know what you read in those verses? The precise opposite of jealousy. It's not looking at someone and saying, why do they have what I don't have? It's looking at what God has blessed you with and saying, by contrast, would to God that he would give to everybody what he has given to me. That's how you overcome jealousy. The only antidote to it is contentment. Whatever state I am, be satisfied with who you are. Be satisfied with what you have. Be satisfied with where God has placed you. Be satisfied with what God has given you. Ultimately, in the very thing that was symbolized in the, in, in the very Lord's Supper that we just, just observed a few moments ago. Because let me tell you something. There's only one person in the universe who has a right to be jealous, and it's God. You say, wait a minute, I thought jealousy was a sin. Well, not if you're God, it's not. Not if you're God. God knows how to do this in the right way. But you know, you know what he did? When we rebelled against him, when we demonstrated ourselves unworthy of the very potential he created in us, when he created us to share in his glory and in his dominion, to follow after him, to reach our full potential, and by our sin nature we have chosen another path that has resulted in a wholly broken world. We are, we're, we're experiencing some of that right now. The pandemic is not necessarily anybody's fault because they sinned, but trust me, it is the result of a fallen world. And when this is over and behind us, there will be something else. You're like, that's awfully depressing, Pastor. Well, it's reality because this isn't heaven. This is earth. God doesn't intend for us to live in heaven here on earth. He's fit us for another world. Let me tell you how he did it. When he could have been jealous, when his bones when he could have chosen to react in so many, so many of the ways that we react toward other people, when he could have condemned us, the only difference being we have no right to do that to another person. God has every right to do that to us. He sent his son, clothed in this flesh, to live that very life that you were destined to live and so was I, to die for our sins, to be raised from the dead, and to give eternal life to anyone who will call on the name of the Lord. And Jesus put it in this way, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundant. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, that life is way too short to waste it on being jealous of some temporary thing that you don't have that eventually is going to go away anyhow. Be grateful for the gospel and for Jesus. Thank God for his goodness and his blessings. And whenever you are tempted to be jealous, you crucify it in this way. Pray for God to fill you with the grace to be content. Heavenly Father, thank you for just your word and what it challenges us with. Thank you for these warning signs like flashers that tell us that there's something that is dangerous to our souls. And Lord, I pray today that we would be set free from jealousy, from envy, from strife, from the things that turn us against each other, that turn husbands and wives against each other, that turn church members against each other, business partners, dearest friends against each other, the kind of jealousy that creates reality television. Father, free us from that today. And may we live free in a way that, that others are perplexed by it. 
May they, Lord Jesus, come to know the one who puts that very spirit of contentment in us. And I make this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already receive from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.